Welcome back to Word Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you from Split Rocks. Everybody that's here just realized how little we prepped for the show. It just <laughs> dawned on me that I just, I just started the show. You just sat down. I just sat down. I'm like texting they family. They know that we haven't talked. We, we yeah, could have well, been we really talking all day yeah, yesterday. Yeah, we haven't done no, that No, we either. didn't because you didn't show up for the game yesterday. I know. I had, a, I, had a, I had to watch last night's game and analyze every word that came out of your mouth. So, well, so um, then you're right there with Margo, who yep. does that every night. Um, all right. I swear to God, I'm not lying. I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed nice. the telecast. I enjoyed the play-by-play. I hate to say it. I enjoyed the color <laughs> analyst from Wes. I thought he was fabulous. Um, Wes was really I good think last the, night. Yeah, I think the producing... I mean, like, it's just, you know, it's I've really... Told you, I've said before, and I think it's... I watch a ton of local yeah. broadcasts. I watch them all. And every night before we play an opponent... When I got home last night, I watched the Seattle broadcast of the Kraken mm-hmm. Flames game. And... I actually watched the tail end of the game on the Calgary feed, but I had recorded the Seattle feed and watched the whole game last night. And I'll put our production up against anybody's, and it's not the play-by-play aside. Our analysts are really good. Our production team is unrivaled. The producer-director are terrific. Our camera operators, tape guys, graphics people are... It is a top-notch show. And even when you compare it to the other Bally's markets who basically have the same... Resources. They have the same graphics package. They have the the same amount of cameras, same number of tape operators, same trucks. Our show's better. It's a terrific broadcast compared to other local shows. You know, the other thing that didn't bother me as much as everybody's been saying are the ads. Uh, you know, no, I watched a few games. Yeah. I agree with you. Other than the animation, yeah, I don't like, like yeah, the, the animation. Ones that are like that sort of like. Move while right. that one's weird. But. Even the transition from one ad to the next yeah. doesn't bother me. And if you're the sponsor, you've got exactly what you were hoping to get because when it changes, your eye does go to it. But it's the ones that actually have animation yeah. in the ad itself that I don't like. But it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it bothers everybody else. And, yeah. and we've talked about some of this stuff on previous shows. There have been so many innovations in the TV, in the hockey on TV world that when they first popped up, everybody thought it was going to destroy the way they watch television. And I'll even go back to when we were in college and Fox first came out doing NFL football, and it was the first time they put what was called the Fox box, the score of the clock on the screen at all times. And I remember people, they were throwing such a fit that this destroys how you watch the game. I don't need to see the score at all times. And now when a game doesn't have the score up, it is amazingly annoying. Same happened a couple of years ago when we started adding shots on goal. And the people that talked about shots on goal, why do I need to see the shots at all times? Now when you flip on a game in a network that doesn't have it, I wonder what the shots are. It's amazing how fast people adopt. And I I think it's... I think the same will happen with these board ads. I, I think within a very short time, it'll just become second nature. That's what happens when you're watching a game. Yeah, it's the same thing that people over that were complaining about the Tria logo on the jerseys. Has anybody really noticed something now? I mean, you know, like, no, but I will say that if it went beyond that, and it became all yeah, of a like, sudden where you're a NASCAR yeah. driver with patches yeah. everywhere. Well, did you that see would Liam, or Liam Ogren, uh, the Wilds' first-round pick from this past year, scored an overtime winner today? <laughs> Oh my God! The jerseys that he's right. got to wear. See, that would bother yeah, me yeah. if it got to that point. It is. It's. It is hard to see. That one would be hard. Same to with get the XL Energy on the helmet. I mean, I don't care. That yeah. doesn't. If it really yeah. changes and helps the yeah. sport recover from the pandemic, I'm all for that kind of stuff. So, uh, if you listen to last week's episode, um, uh, 
34 minutes late Anthony was to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> not that I was counting, but it was 34 minutes. However, I did have proof based yes. on the timestamp on your coffee. That's true. That I had picked up coffee yeah. two minutes before the show was yeah. supposed to start across yeah. the street at the Starbucks. Yeah. So I, the best, the best, I had yeah. every intention of being on time, and I was within... 47 feet of your hotel two minutes before the yeah. show was supposed so, to start. So, so the, the best part of that story was definitely the fact that Margo had to call you and say, are you having trouble seeing? And you're like, well, actually, now that you say how you say something, yeah. like The fact that Anthony didn't realize that he was like had poor vision. So the only reason why I bring this up is uh, I was I, there was a point, believe it or not, that I worried that I was even getting back here in time for this podcast, let alone yesterday's game. Uh, Dan and I had a hellacious travel Back from uh, Chicago, it was unbelievable. Early morning flight. We get to the airport. First of all, I got to the airport an hour before our flight because Delta had to give me a replacement bag because they destroyed my bag going from Detroit to Chicago. It was unbelievable. Shows up. I had this lock on it. It was sheared off, like exposed nails in this bag. And then uh, the entire top of the bag, basically the zippers broke completely open as it comes out. But I didn't have time to wait for them to get me a bag the day I came in. So they're like, as long as you show up 24 hours within of you landing, you can get this, we'll give you a new bag. So I show up early, we get there, I meet, Anth- I meet uh, um, uh, Dan at the food court of the Midway Airport, and he goes, you see we already have a delay? That's not a good sign. I'm like, yeah, he goes, he goes I bet you were going to be here all day. I'm like, there's no way. And next thing I know, it's 6 p.m., we're still at the airport. So what happened? Before like you give me the no, 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 crap, I'm not, I'm not like, gonna, I'm not, like, no, I'm not even there yet. Because All I'm just I telling gonna, you, if you're gonna tell me that I should have rented a car and driven home, I'm gonna punch you in the face. I you, would never. You, I, I, okay. All right. Well, number because one, I've never been punched in the face, and it ain't gonna, gonna happen it. from you. <laughs> but the all I was gonna say is. It shocks me that you'd have a, a delay like that in Chicago yes. where there are like a thousand flights right. a day going yeah. back and forth. Unfortunately, we were at Midway and not O'Hare, which will be the last time that happens. Um, but anyway, um, but what happened? But why didn't you rent a car? Right, Anthony, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, Dane and I at the same time yesterday actually said out loud, if somebody else says rent a car. So, I mean, it's like those people don't realize, like, it's like they've never flown. You show up at the airport, and it's, first of all, a fog delay, which doesn't usually happen at O'Hare and didn't happen this day, but you're in a residential neighborhood, so you can't land and take off in fog. All right. I made that mistake. Never again at O'Hare from now on. But regardless, because of that, you know, like, you know, say 8 a.m., then they're like, all right, you delay till 9, and you delay till 10. So now the plane finally shows up around 1231. They quote, unquote, say that we have a maintenance problem. It'll be a quick fix. And so, again... Half hour, 45 minutes. I mean, we're not, it's not like we're in, you know, Tampa to Florida and it's a three-hour drive. It is a heck of a hike to go from that part of Chicago into, to, to drive back to Minnesota. But two, like, again, it's a 40-minute flight. So we're just thinking, all right, we're going to leave it two. We're going to leave it. Next thing you know, it's just over and over again. Then at 3 o'clock, it, Dan and I, it's just so funny how, how um, experienced we are as travelers. We're like, we're, they're going to time out. Like, there's no way that this crew is going to be able to show up at 8 a, 7 a.m. and take us at 6 p.m. And next thing you know, the gate agents leave at 3, don't show back up till 6. In the meantime, we could have, if they given us an alternative, we could have gone to O'Hare. We could have changed to the 644 flight home or something. Next thing you know, they show back up at 6.30. Like, oh, the crew is timed out. And uh, an hour, and, but we're going to, oh, that was the good news. The good news is, 
the part's going to be fixed in an hour, but the bad news is they're going to time out by then. Well, I'm like, well, you knew that hours ago. So uh, finally, him and I, he and I got into an Uber, Ubered to uh, O'Hare, and stayed at a Westin and took a 6 a.m. flight home. What always is frustrating to me in those spots, and I'm not one who flies commercially a ton, but you just want the information. Yeah. If, the, if it's going to be all day, tell me right now, because then I frankly would have rented, rented a, car a car and driven, driven home. home. Or I would, there are a million other flights. Yeah. And if you get the information early, you just say, all right, I'll go over here, grab a flight, and, and fly home. Like him, him and I would have easily gone to O'Hare and gotten on a plane. Right. You know, and, and Delta would have put on that. But I told the you the story the one time that I, the one flight I've ever missed in my life was when I was coming home from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, of all places, and had gone down there to do a, we were promoting the Champions Tour golf event that was down there. And I had said, yep, I'll come down there as long as I can fly in the morning and fly home at night because it was in the middle of a busy time. All the rest of our crew drove both ways. And when we got done and I went to the airport, they said, well, your flight's going to be delayed, so don't even bother coming back and asking for two hours. They announced this over the loudspeaker. Now, the Sioux Falls Airport, I think, has four gates. Right. And I walked up there, and there's a... Margo and I had dinner plans that night. It was the one off night of a week. And so they were getting tired of people asking. So they announced over the speaker, don't come back for two hours. <laughs> so I walked down the f- closest place I could find where I could get something to eat was the one snack bar they had. And it was at the other end of the four gates. So I go down there and I'm watching a movie and I'm eating. And all of a sudden, it's been an hour and a half. I walk back and I said, all right, well, what's the update? Well, that flight just left. I said, just left? They said, yeah, we announced it over the speakers. Well, I had earbuds in. I yeah. wasn't listening. I had been instructed, don't come back for two hours. So I immediately went to a car rental place and rented a car and busted it home. And I remember calling Margo saying, Margo, we're, we're still going to go to dinner. It's just going to take me four hours to get home, but I'll be there. Um, yeah. Meet me at the Mall of America because that's where I can return the rental car, and then we'll go get dinner. And so I did. I busted my, I got home and we had dinner and that's the only flight I've ever missed and I still am not happy about it. Look at that beauty. Marc-Andre Fleury on NHL Network tonight. Just always smiling. Uh, guy is just a, a treat to cover. Um, as, as, as one of the wild players said to me today, like 10 years from the end of his career, he's going to like, like be just proud that he played with this guy. Like it's still every day he walks in the locker room and he's just excited that this guy's on his team. How great was it watching his the way he handled himself in the shootout in Chicago, yeah. you could see throughout the game the respect between Taves yep. and him, between yep. Kane and him. And when Taves beat him early, and then he stopped Taves later in the game, and Taves immediately skated over to him, and you could just see yeah, that both of them had a grin on their yeah. face. And when he then stopped him in the shootout yeah. and waved at him yeah. as he skated back to the bench, it was fun to watch that. And, and I, we talked yeah. with Dean Evison about it the next day yeah. in St. Paul, and he said, our whole team just oozed confidence when you watch the way he carries himself in those shootout spots. Yeah, and isn't it amazing uh, just where we were talking about him a couple of weeks ago? There was some valid concern, and he just got himself out of it. And now he's 5-0-1 in his last six with a two two six goals against and a 2 9 uh, save percentage. Pretty impressive and played- to see. Really well. The timely yeah. saves have been significant. I thought the game against the Canadians at home last night, Tuesday night, was 
maybe as good as he's played. Yeah. I thought it was he was in control. Yeah. There weren't as many rebounds. He was out challenging. He made a couple spectacular saves when the team needed him. I thought that was his best game. And I still don't think we've seen the best of him this year. Right. But it looks a lot more like the old Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, uh, no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah, got back from Chicago. That was fun. Uh, also had a road rage incident in Chicago. Not me driving, shockingly. Uh, you got to ask uh, Dan tomorrow about the uh, Uber driver that I had in Chicago going to the United Center for that game. Oh, man. He did one of these to a guy like that. When's the last time anybody's ever seen that? Um, and he starts screaming. The other guy starts screaming at him. And Dan and I are in the back of this Honda Odyssey like, get us out of here. I think I've told you, so. if I told you the time, the the worst cab story I've ever had was in Boston. This was 20 years ago when I was traveling with the twins. And I walked out of a hotel, and there were a couple cabs lined up there. And there was somebody, I thought, loading stuff into the cab that was in front of the line. So I walked toward the second one, and the guy waves to me. So I walk over. We throw my suitcases in the, in the trunk or my computer bag, whatever I was bringing with me. And I go get in the cab, and... My cab guy gets in, and all of a sudden, another cab driver comes over and just starts screaming at him. Apparently, he had jumped the line and mm-hmm. was not supposed to be the next cab. And so my guy rolls down his window and starts yelling at this guy. And I'm thinking, well, how about we just go? And my guy gets out of the cab and proceeds to get his absolute ass kicked by this <laughs> other cab driver. I mean, we are talking beaten bloody. The guy's pounding him. The hotel guys are just standing there watching because apparently they knew my guy was in the wrong. This guy literally is kicking him while he's yeah. on the ground, calling him every name in the book. And I'm in the back seat of the cab. My stuff's in the trunk, so I can't really get out and just make a quick exit. Yeah. The guy gets back in. Okay. I was like, okay. <laughs> he got blood. He's screaming your blood face. everywhere, bud. And, but he drove me to Fenway and was, he was, he lived to tell about it, I guess. But I've, the guy, I've never seen a guy yeah. get beaten worse than this guy. This is an interesting road trip. Like between the road rage, the whole incident with Delta, which, you know, everybody knows I'm actually a fan of Delta and just how horrible the customer service was there. But then um, how about you and I in Montreal? We get in the one Uber to go to practice and the guy immediately yells at you. Yeah. Because I brought coffee in, yeah. and he said that I had, to, I had to put it in the cup holder. I didn't have a cover on the coffee, so I'm holding it, and he says, you can't have that in your hand. You, ha- you can't drink that in the car. You have to put it in the cup holder. If he had told me I had to get out and dump it out, I would have been, right. okay, I understand. You don't want people. But when he just says you can't drink that in the car... Put it in the cup holder. Well, as we're driving in this minivan like this, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the thing splashing coffee, coffee all over the everywhere. The coffee was like to the tippy top with no cover, and it's in the cup holder. Just the liquid's just flying out. And Anthony and I are looking at this like if he, he was like scared to grab it because the guy was going to yell yeah, at him. I eventually, and did then, just grab it because yeah. I felt badly there was going to be coffee yeah. everywhere. And by Luckily, the way, it was your it, Uber it, rating, it, not it, mine. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, it'd be one thing if this was, like, the most pristine car ever. It was, like, it was just gross. crappy minivan. <laughs> yeah, like, it was just the dirt everywhere. The floors were made of rubber, I think. There <laughs> yeah, weren't even just, carpet on them We're anything. just like, what is going on here? And, and, and so we immediately get in, and Anthony, who's already destroyed my Uber rating, which, you know, is a source of pride for some of us. Um, Mine's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yours is perfect. I, I had to work after an incident in Toronto to get my Uber rating back up to 474. Well, after this Montreal thing, it's gone down to 468. So obviously he didn't give me a five. Well, I wouldn't either. Yeah. 
because <laughs> Anthony, as usual. So I was just I was honoring his wishes. But just to summarize all of this and to sum it up, the I think what adds to your day in Chicago is just the length of this trip. It felt like oh we were God. gone for yeah. a half a season yeah. to the point where when we were standing on the tarmac waiting to get on the charter to come home after the game in Chicago, Ryan Carter turned to me and he said, what would you do right now if they told us there was something wrong with the plane yeah. and that we had to stay? And I just kind of, I mean, I wouldn't do anything. I'd, what the hell? I would just go back to a hotel. And, and he turns to one of those little baggage trucks, and he said, I would take that cart and steal it and drive that yeah. thing home. Yeah. That's how I, everybody was anxious to get oh home. My and it just, it my 10-day trip, trip became an, yeah, an 11-dayer, and it was, it was just, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a long trip. But, uh, and, and just to start the season like that, where, you know, you're just, like, I, I mean, this is going to sound like, you know, like shocking to everybody that, that lasted. But you know what made it a long trip? There are the three days in Montreal. It's like, you know, like, like I don't know how, ba- at least baseball writers, when they're in a city for three days, they got three games. But I was just well, like, you know. Yeah, I think there's that. I was like I, not leaving my hotel because I was working on these like NHL 99s. There for sure is that. And it, it was long. We stayed four nights in the same city, which was terrific. To me, the longer part is all the in and out. I stayed in six different hotels because yeah. I stayed in two hotels in Montreal. The first night we had to stay in a different one because our normal hotel was overbooked. And believe me, when I, I'm not complaining about the hotels we stay in. They're unbelievable. They're the best hotels in town, and both of these in Montreal were. But it was the tail end when we were flying from Ottawa to Detroit, and you haul your bag up, you unpack a little bit, you enough to live. The next night, you're packing everything back up down to the lobby. Yeah. You're on to Chicago. You're unpacking everything. You're back. The next night's game night. So it, when I got on the plane and realized, I was like, this is six or seven different times in 10 days that I've repacked everything into my suitcase to, to get it to go. And the travel couldn't be any yeah. easier. We're coddled. It's absolute top of the line. But it's still in and out of hotels. Yeah. Seven different times. Absolutely, and uh, and to, to re- put a bow on this uh, this wine fest uh, on a positive note. To, but to, so you know, I covered the game in Ottawa. I got the well, same thing. Get back to the hotel forever late. I got a six a.m. flight, customs fly through Newark, get to Detroit. I'm thinking like this day is going to be destroyed in terms of fatigue. I I went to this restaurant that night. I didn't tell you this. So I go to this restaurant. I'm I'm walking to Andiamo or. or favorite Italian place. And all of a sudden, I run into this, this elevator shaft, and it goes up to the 71st floor of the top of the GM headquarters. And it's a restaurant called Highlands. And I'm like, God, I wonder if this is the old place that I was at in 1998, where we did like the Gary Bettman State of the Union. When you Union were covering the Panthers? Cup. Yeah. The stand, well, I was covering Detroit, Washington. Stanley Cup final, the State of the Union was at the top of the, the GM headquarters. And I've always wanted to go back up there, and I had never seen, like, a way to get up there again. So I go up to the top of this, and it was definitely the room, and they, they turned it into this insane restaurant that, that goes the entire top of the building. And I'm not kidding you, it's one of the best meals that I've ever had on the road. But that what was crazy about this is that Dane was flying in from Minnesota. So it was Dane covered, like, games one, four, and five of the road trip. Sarah McClellan covered games two and three of the road trip, and I, I did all five. So Dane was coming, covered the game in Boston, went home, then flew back to Chicago. Oh, excuse me, Detroit. So Dane texts me at 6 p.m., and he goes, hey, what are you doing for dinner? I land at 10. And I'm like, I'm going to be dead by then. I'm, I'm, I'm going for a quick bite, and I'll just see you in the morning. 
So the next thing I know, I'm texting with the airport, at the, I'm sending videos of this restaurant, I'm hanging out with this bartender named Chaz, I'm sitting next to this rock climber named Casey that's telling me all these harrowing stories of him going on these like single man like adventures in the Grand Canyon, all this stuff. All of a sudden, this couple comes to the bar. One guy's mo- moving to the North Loop n- this week, and he's with his girlfriend that's from Minnesota, for, lives in South Minneapolis. So I start talking to them. Next thing I know, I look at my watch. It's 10 p.m. So after waking up at like 3 a.m., actually getting no sleep, flying there, it's about 10 p.m. I've been at this place for five hours. Okay? And so I text Dane. I text Don't Dane. Use and the I'm beat like, button there. Yeah. I text Dane, and I'm like, dude, you got to come up to this place. Get here. So now he gets to the hotel finally at like 1045. Place is closed. He's trying to get up the elevator. The elevator won't go up because it's closed. The, I made such good friends with the bartender that he gave me his key card. I went downstairs Grab Dane, we go up, and now we close this place down. Chaz is making like him old fashions and all this stuff. It was honestly one of the great nights I've ever had, and we were in Detroit. I actually had a good off night in Detroit as well. We went out to watch the U.S. under-18 team play out in Plymouth, which was about a maybe 25-minute ride or so from our hotel. Darby Hendrickson's son, Beckett, plays on the team. So And Carter Slaggart, Andy Slaggart's son, Notre Dame associate coach. Could be. Yeah. There's a lot of guys' sons who play on the team. Why don't, why don't you but get a roster and, and look at it? I them? did look at the roster, but it didn't matter to me. Other than I did watch Oliver Moore, who's a Totino Grace kid. I watched him. He was actually an outstanding player. Yeah, he is. And there was a couple Totino Grace guys on this team, which was interesting. But the, we went out to the Billet family where Beckett Hendrickson lives. Oh, wow. And had a tremendous pregame meal. I, my old boss, Jeff Bile, who's the executive producer for Bally Sports Detroit, was in town, was there. He lives there now. So he came and met Darby and I at Beckett Hendrickson's Billet family's house. We had this unbelievable pregame meal. They made fillets for my, my old boss and I were going to go. He's like, yeah, we'll go to this great sports bar that's attached to the rink and have dinner. I texted him back. I said, well, I'm riding with Darby out there. And he said, just come and meet us at the Billet family's house. So we get there. They've got a huge charcuterie spread, fillets. It was, it was unreal. So we go to the game, which was fun. Ran into Billy Guerin was there. Chris O'Hearn was there. Yeah, it was terrific. It was fun to watch. It was really cool to see the yeah. building, see the arena, see where they play. They played against Youngstown that day. And then we went to a, a sports bar down in that neighborhood and after the game, met Beckett and a buddy of his, and Darby came, and we had some dinner and some drinks after the game. But it was, it was about as good an off night as I've ever had in Detroit yeah, as well. It was yeah. fun just so to, Did you? It was down in Ann Arbor or Plymouth? It was in Plymouth. Okay, is where yeah, their arena yeah, is. Yeah. And it's a great setup. They have a really oh, cool yeah. rink, and yep. it was just fun to see. And it, as so Beckett plays for the U.S. Under-18 team. Under-18 team, team right. Yeah. And it's a two-year commitment when you sign when yeah. you. Get selected for the had team. A broken collarbone broken too. Collarbone. Was that his first game back? It, he had played the night before, so okay. he, first game of the year he broke his collarbone. He missed the everything else for the mm-hmm. season until that weekend, and he had played the night before and then that night. So that those were his second and third games of the year. They won the game in overtime that night, and but it's when you get through and you get into the gr- the grind of a season. Anytime you get to a city where you do anything other than hey, let's go to this place and have dinner and then yes, we'll have some drinks I and then agree. we'll go back to those. It's just fun to have something yeah. else on your schedule and that night was cool to have a, a different way to break up the road trip. Yep. Uh, that, yeah, that, what you just said there is a good point. I think uh, that Highlands also was made better for like, wow, I've never been here before. Um, by the way, I mentioned Carter Slagger. He's one of three Slagger brothers. One plays for the Toronto Marlies. The other is 
Landon, uh, Notre Dame, Chicago Blackhawks draft pick. Carter's draft eligible this year. Landon plays for Notre Dame. I get to see Notre Dame play the Gophers here twice this weekend. I cannot absolutely wait. November 21st is our next live show at Tuttle's. Then November 28th after that. Uh, we will probably not do a podcast next week, but we will do one the following week. And then uh, November 21st and 28th. So that'll give us our four for this month. Um, so let's talk about the Minnesota Wild after 22 minutes of us talking about our lives. <laughs> Everybody's here is like, thanks for yeah. coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes, let's move on. Move yeah. on. That's the best part about the best part about listening to a podcast in the car is that you can listen on like one and a half or two speed. You can't do that when you come live. I don't put that in the advertisement. You have to deal with the just real time of Russo and Lapanta. Just uh, actually, it's funny because he and I were on the road for ten days, but it feels like we barely saw each other. So it's like this was us catching up. So anyway, it's good uh, to see you again. Let me tell everybody about Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Um, if you, if you were like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. Well, I went right to the expert, Chris Lindahl, the other day and asked him. Chris started in 2009, so as we all know, there were similar tensions back then. So I wanted to know where we were headed, and here's what Chris told me. The supply of homes would have would have to outweigh demand, not be at all-time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on a market would need to spike too. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer. Prices are being cut a lot too, but the seasons and market have been shifting, so it's hard to say if the sky is falling. The number one thing people can control right now is their equity being at all-time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee they keep their equity need to be proactive. Don't wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris at KLRE for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates vaporizing people's equity. Request your no-obligation Guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindahl.com. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Anthony, tell us about Moe's. Well, Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena is a terrific new spot. Great place to go watch a game. We talked about their banquet room that we used for our fantasy hockey draft this couple of weeks ago. It's a terrific meeting space if you've got something like that. But most important, it's just a great place to go hang out well, either you're at a game at Fogarty Arena, you've got a curling match, great venue, food is solid, great TVs to watch the games. It's not just a place to go while your son or daughter is taking part in youth hockey practices or a youth hockey tournament. It's also a great place to go to watch hockey games, watch wild games played, and check out the pastrami sandwich. It's my favorite on the menu when you go there. It's Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a great spot. Yeah. So we're to start with the Wild. They're five one and one in their last seven. Five zero and one. Flurry in his last six. Um, you know, they're just they look like a different team, and they're doing this without four injured players right now. I think there are two things that stand out to me. One is the point we made when they were zero three, and said the reality is you have to wait till probably this road trip is over, and then evaluate where the team is because <laughs> of the way the schedule had worked yeah. out. And I think that's accurate. They're a 
slightly over 500 club, and that's probably right about where they belong right now. And then the second is what you mentioned. That's the bigger story is four guys that are out, and if you made a list of the wild forwards and said, who brings the most physicality, grit, and energy, I would say the top four in some order would be Felino, Greenway, Hartman, and Duhame. And maybe Erickson Eck would be the, in there somewhere. But you're missing four of the five for sure that you would say these are the guys that fit the identity of the club that Billy Guerin has said he wants to have, that we are going to be as difficult to play against as any team in the NHL. And you've lost four of those guys. It's mm-hmm. not like you lost one skill guy and a couple grinders. You lost your four most physical players. And I Actually, I played golf with Dean Evison today, and we talked a little bit about it. And I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to do that, how they're going to handle it. Don't have exact timelines on any of these guys yet, but it's going to be a little bit for some of these guys to come back. Especially Hartman. And they got to figure out some way to duplicate what they're missing. And that's, that's the biggest story right now with this club, the record aside. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm just glad that they've won four out of five since I ranted and called everybody twittiots last week, and, and you and I made fun of everybody for wanting everybody fired and blah, blah, blah. So thank, thank to the Wild for like not going belly up and us looking like the idiots. Um, but like, uh, it, it's actually it's gonna among be the topics for discussion I had with Dean today. At some, we, didn't talk, we don't talk a lot of hockey when we're playing golf, but one of the things that came up was some of the fan reaction. And he said, I love the fans and I hate the fans. And I said, I love the fans too, and I, lo- I love being in a market where fans are passionate. But I shared with him, I said, you wouldn't have believed with the... I had people that were sending me messages on Twitter during a broadcast when they were against Vancouver, fourth game of the season, saying, you are such a homer for not saying Billy Garrett should be fired. Come on. It's the fourth game of the season. And not to mention that even if I thought, and there's not a broadcaster on the planet that goes on TV during a game and says, I think it's time for the GM to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the place for it. That's a a talk radio conversation and even then it's for a very amateurish talk radio person and so I was sharing some of those with Dean and he said well how many of them were calling for my head I said well just about every one of them first said you should be fired then Billy and then me for saying for not saying that you two guys should be fired yeah in some order yeah well they got the third one right right yeah it's um, possible. but the, it, like it, it is uh but uh, I mean back to the team so they're it's going to be interesting how they navigate this because, you know, I, I, I corresponded with, with somebody today inside the team and I get the impression that Bill Guerin thinks that they're going to be able to, um, you know, get by here and not that he's not going to have to, that one, they have enough depth if they need guys from Iowa, but two, that um, barring more injuries, that he doesn't need to look at the outside right now and add a forward at some point uh, anytime soon. But again, things change in a hurry here. Um, and what's good is the timing of the schedule, at least in the short term, that right now, tomorrow night, or the, tonight when this podcast comes out against Seattle, that they don't play again until Tuesday, and Greenway is potentially going to be back that game. So what they're doing is instead of call, recalling you know, a Mitchell Chafee or somebody that's going to play five, six minutes a night on the fourth line, what they're going to do is it, tomorrow's going to be the most fun game of the year for Kaprizov, Zuccarello, Erickson, Ek, and Boldy is they're all going to get doubled up on the fourth line. They're going to go with a traditional 11 forwards and 7D, not when they say 11-7, but really put a defenseman up front. 
and they're going to go 7-D tomorrow, and Goligoski's going to get in. They're going to double up on the fourth line, and they're going to try to, you know, get by until at least Tuesday when they probably, you know, you get Greenway back, and they'll probably have to bring somebody up as insurance for the road. They'll take somebody with them on the yeah. road for sure, but with both Greenway and potentially Felino, yeah. by not playing them Tuesday night or Thursday night and now being off till Tuesday, you by skipping one more game and not rushing somebody back, you give them an extra week yeah. of rest to recover. Now, the one thing you have to keep an eye on is Greenway has played a half a period all season, yeah. and even though this injury wasn't the same one that he suffered before, in the back of your mind, you have to be wondering yes. that... Yeah. And it isn't that you wouldn't play him or tell him to play any differently, but it, you there's a very significant increased chance of an injury for this guy. And so, yeah, I think the plan that Billy says we're not going to go out and get anybody, that's always subject to change. You yeah. just don't know. And with these other guys, with, with Felino Greenway, I think they certainly are sooner than the other two set to return. Yeah, sure. um, I was talking to Dean Everson for a while today, um, just uh, him and I after um, the scrums. And, you know, the one thing that they did talk about is, all right, you know, do they put Addison or Dumba up front? Um, and I don't think they want to get in, definitely not Addison's head and change him because they like the way he's playing on the blue line. You know, Dumba's no, had have, a tough they start. They have to, other forwards yeah. that, they're, that they were willing to call up when they brought up Fogarty. Right. They like Beckman's game. They like Sammy Walker's game down Chafee. there, depending on what you need. And I think right now you, you lead on those guys. And what they've built is a, a deeper pool of players in Iowa. So but there's I, only I, so I don't much. Changing, Patan, yeah. But there's only so much. I mean, Patan's hurt. I mean, the, the Hartman injury is tough because, um, you know, first of all, his underlying numbers say that he wasn't nearly as bad as, as maybe the eye test would say. Um, well, he was last starting four to come, games, yeah, I thought he was, he was starting terrific. to come out of it. Like he, I thought he was great in Montreal. Um, I thought he was getting there in Boston, much better in Ottawa. And, and unfortunately, you know, he probably did something that uh, he's going to regret um, in Chicago. I mean, you, you know, there was no reason to fight Tenorti there. And so this is, you know, a, a big loss um, that they're going to have to navigate through for, for a little bit of time here. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, Fleury's game because um, – you know, I know we did at the at the very beginning a little bit, but I think what was so impressive about Flurry is that, like, I remember talking to him after the game two um, game where he called every one of the goals he was giving up stupid, and he was blaming himself for everything, and he was embarrassed. And the next day they had the charity bowling event in Treasure Island, and he said down there to Joe Smith, uh, "I thought people were going to shoot me when I walked in here because I'm so I've been so bad." I just I love the fact that this guy. There's not one part of him that blamed the defense, which was god awful. He said I, I needed to be a better. And I remember li- looking at his face in that locker room, in, in after he was pulled against the Kings, and being majorly alarmed that he looked so out of character and and not having fun and not confident. And yet, what does he do? He goes to work at practice and he comes back and he's thanks Billy Guerin for sticking with him. Like, he, there's no excuses. It's all accountability, which, you know, is not easy for a goaltender a lot of times. No, I, th- I agree with you. I think it's great. And I, his game's been better. There are still some awkward moments every night because you can tell there's still just a few instances where he's on a different page than the defenseman. And it might well be the defenseman's fault. I have no idea. But I know that there are plays where it looks awkward. And he's always been a... 
I don't know the right word for it, but a, an overly active yeah. goaltender compared to guy, a guy like, let's, let's just compare him to last year's guy, Cam Talbot, who was very much a blocker, a stationary, square to the puck, just block the puck guy, where Fleury is more of the east to west, left to right, but he comes out aggressively, he's got a little more flair, maybe a guy who's more capable of stealing games for you, and with that, sometimes it's going to come some plays where he almost takes himself out of position yeah. by being too active in the crease. And, and when you're not on the same page with your defenseman, those plays can look a lot uglier than they really are. So I, I think it'll be interesting to watch. I do think his game's been really good here over the last stretch. The only thing I would caution it with is, and I, every win in the NHL is a good win. And when you look at the teams, some of these teams have beaten, they've beaten some good hockey teams. Ottawa's got the only win against Boston in the entire league. Montreal's got wins against quality teams. Seattle beat Calgary. There are, but they haven't faced the yeah, best the here over this stretch. And it's why I said when they had lost the three in a row at the beginning to not to worry too much because they had played what I felt were two of the best maybe four teams in the NHL in Colorado and the New York Rangers. But now this stretch, as good as it's been, it hasn't come against the best You're competition right. in the NHL. So as it's been great, and you have to win these games. Just ask Toronto. They would <laughs> Right now they're talking about a team that's lost to San Jose and to Anaheim and just about every bottom feeder in the league. They've lost to Montreal. But at the same time, when you start to say, hey, the game's better, the game is, is taking some steps – you got to see it against one of the best teams, I think, to really believe that, okay, yeah. now they're ready. So this has been, to deal with the injuries they're dealing with, this is the perfect spot in the schedule to do that, where you're facing some teams you might be able to weather the storm without some of the guys you'll need down the stretch. Correct. See, not a homer. Very fair assessment by the objective Anthony LaPanta. Um, by the way, I remiss to mention, uh, we have a headset right over there, so feel free to come on up anytime if you have a question or, or things like that. I don't think Greenbelt is here tonight to do, uh, do a giveaway, but um, we'll just give you a kudos. We'll do well, a raffle. You brought a gift we'll bag. Kudos. What's in your gift bag? No, Jody Anderson is here. So Jody uh, is uh, hockey, uh, is crazy hockey. Mo hockey moms are not crazy, the author. Well, that's a big um, difference. Yeah. And, uh, Either she crazy hockey mom or hockey moms yeah. aren't crazy? Yeah. Well, you better get that title right. Some, some <laughs> hockey moms are crazy. Some hockey dads are very crazy. Uh, but she brought me a, a gift, uh, gifts for my mom and I. So, uh, and I wrote the forward for her latest book, uh, which is uh, a version two of that book, uh, which I highly, highly recommend. You can get it on Amazon. I, I sent my mom a copy and Brought tears to her eyes because I'm such an eloquent writer. Um, she goes, she, she, she wrote me the funniest text. She goes, I think you actually love me. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Um, so bring Your on that. Your mom said so, that? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, some, maybe sometimes I don't express it. Um, question, and then we're going to go through. Uh, there are a couple players I want to ask you about. Play, playing well, uh, guys like uh, Mason Shaw, Kalen Addison, obviously Caprice Boldy. Question for you. So uh, what, what went into the organization and the players' decision of uh, – Vladislav first off to go back to a Nizhny in the KHL as far as going back to Russia. And he quit. Everything that comes, he really. Yeah. Uh, so I'm yeah. assuming that probably spells the end of his North American probably. hockey career. Uh, I don't know if the end of his North American, but uh, the chance of him, uh, you know, I, I think the Wild will welcome him back, but he's going to be low man on the totem pole for a long time. Going got tough, and uh, he didn't want to handle it down there, um, you know, is the way that I understand it. I uh, got some tough love. Uh, and... Uh, and left, uh, and the Wild loaned him. 
Question? I like the goatee. So. Uh, this question is for both of you. I'm going to ask you to put your crystal balls on and look two or three years down the road. So this is probably unfair to ask you to predict. But everybody has seen the unusually great chemistry that's developed between Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello. So my question is, Zuccarello's deal is up at the end of next year, mm -hmm. at which point he will be almost 38 years old. Kaprizov has got this season plus three more. Mm -hmm. What do the Wild do? And is there any danger that if they don't extend Matt on even a short-term deal, they risk alienating their best player going forward? And what does Kaprizov do if suddenly his security blanket and his BFF mm -hmm. isn't around anymore? It's a fair and, question. Uh, and, and the second part of it is, I'm going to ask you to speculate is there somebody else on the current roster, either at the major level or coming along in the pipeline, that you see who might be able to develop into a replacement for Zuccarello well, and I, play with yeah. Kirill? I mean, maybe a Matt Boldy, same position. Uh, if you're looking at a center and, and you want a playmaker, maybe Marco Rossi. But I think what you asked was a valid question. Um, if he's still on top of his game last year, next year, um, you know, Bill Guerin's going to go to him and try to extend him. Uh, you know, not, I'm not saying five, six years, but maybe could you give him a couple-year deal? Would he take a haircut on his $6 million? Um, uh, you know, that, that's, that's something that he's going to do. Um, you know, in, in three years, uh, let me promise you, Kirill Kaprizov is going to name his price, and the Wild are going to give it to him. He wants to be $14 million, he's getting 14. That's what it, that's, uh, you know, this is also kind of the stuff I've been trying to convey here on, you know, on people that just sit there and want to rip them because they can maybe afford Kevin Fiala this year. And that, this was a long-term deal. He wanted eight years. The Wild have to worry about Boldy. They have to worry about guys like Addison, Rossi. Um, obviously, Kaprizov in three years is going to get an extension, and, and Zuccarello is one of them as well. Hartman, Goudreau. I mean, this is, this is why um, Fiala didn't fit. The people that sit there, it just drives me crazy, and hopefully none of you are in this room. But the people that sit there and want to say, see, they could have had Fiala at eight times eight because if you add up Goligoski and Merrill and Greenland, like how stupid do you have to be to really genuinely believe that? Like this is a, this is a futures contract. I don't that think you're saying projecting. you're stupid to believe no, that. Exactly. Just <laughs> I'm just talking to the Twittiots. So anyway. I agree. I think, well, number one, I think the answer to the second part of the question is Marco Rossi. too that say that to me every Marco day. Marco Rossi has the playmaking skill to be the guy next to Kaprizov as long as <sighs> Kaprizov is here. And whether that's in two years or three years, Marco Rossi's that guy. And he... Marco Rossi, by the time he's done, I believe will be looked at as one of the great playmaking centers this organization's ever had. He's, he has some vision. He has hands. He'll get bigger and stronger. He's going to be a great player. And the Zuccarello part, I think, is interesting because there are some guys who just look like they're unlikely to lose a step. He looks like that guy right now. But... The, you have to wait till the end of next season to yeah. see. And age is a real thing. Can he still keep up with Kaprizov? As yep. magic as they might, as magical as they might be together, as much as they see the game the same way, as good a passer as he is, and he's near the top of the league in all those areas. If you can't keep up with the play anymore, you can't and, be that guy. So and, I think yeah. it'll be Billy going to him, trying to convince him, sign for two years, maybe three have to take a, a cut on what the 
the rate is, but yeah. you have a chance to win and, at the end of yeah. your career here. And age definitely is a real thing because the one thing I will say about Zuccarello is something, something that somebody in the organization pointed out to me the other day is that when he gets tired, and he's only going to get more tired, right, as he gets older, when he gets tired is, the is what you see in Detroit and Chicago where he just throws pucks blindly. Um, they're hope plays. And um, he was driving Dean crazy those two games. Um, you know, the, the, the two of them. Um, and so when he gets tired, sometimes, and maybe his legs aren't keeping up with his mind, he just throws passes across and prays. Um, he, uh, but to get to what Marty St. Louis, the coach of the Montreal Canadiens, said about him when we were in Montreal, somebody asked about Zuccarello, and he said that he's never been somebody that's relied on his, relied on his foot speed. It's always his brain speed, is the, was the quote. Um, so Zuccarello, but you're right. If, that is a real thing. I usually son it con sometimes scoff and roll my eyes at the, uh, well, you know, they can't rid of, get rid of Kulikov because he's Russian. You're just going to piss off Kaprizov. I roll my eyes at that stuff. Kaprizov is a professional, a man. He gets it. He, he I'm sure, didn't love Kulikov being traded, but it didn't obviously ruin him. The guy has eight goals this year. Zuccarello leaving might piss him off. <laughs> well, I think it would, but I yeah. also think he will be mature enough at that point, yeah. too, to understand. And, I, and Zuccarello, I believe, would be a part of that yeah. equation where, look, Kirill, as much as I'd love to stay and play with you, let's just say, let's say Billy Guerin goes to him and says, how about if you'll play for three more years? Most other teams might not give you three. I'll give you three, but in order to do it, you got to come down on your AAV. And if Zuccarello said, nope, I can take more money somewhere else, well, then he's the guy who'd have to look at Kirill and own it and say, it's a business. There's a couple million bucks on the table. I'm going to take it and go there instead. So I think it's a two-way street. But I, I just have this feeling they'll find a way to extend that time for at least a year or two to let those guys continue to play together. So, so my, uh, my old editor just sent me a text. He's at Goodwill. My old editor at the Strib. $3.99 right now. You can get this athletic T-shirt. So now, just that. put yourselves across a dinner table from Michael Russo at any point during the hockey season. We could be in a discussion about anything. And all of a sudden, you'll know he's not paying attention anymore because you see this. And then the follow-up will be, hey, look at this athletic t-shirt that this guy just texted yeah. me. And I've, we've experienced it. We've had it. It's been a, hey, have you seen this guy that punched the kangaroo? I know I've told that story before. That was a great but one. Even we were in Toronto at the harbor or whatever I, restaurant. Right, and I'm in the middle of a discussion with you. Yeah. And I finished my sentence, and he said, hey, have you seen this video of the guy punching the kangaroo? Well, he was in a fight with a kangaroo. very little that to do with what I was just talking about. In fact, we had it on last week's podcast where I said, Given the, the spiel about Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena, and I said, yeah, and we just had our Donkey Hockey League draft there, great banquet room. I stopped talking, and it's for the first time it triggers. With, hey, there's no sound coming from the guy next to me. Hey, yeah, and we just had our banquet there, just had our draft there. Yep, I just said that 41 seconds ago. That's true. <laughs> um, everybody see how obnoxious he is? Like, in tru truly, just, just imagine. You engage with the people that are here. Your phone will be there when you get done. You I can know, read your text messages when you're done. I'm, I might have to go down to Goodwill and buy that shirt. Right. So anyway, um, next, Matt Boldy. Um, just getting better and better and better. This kid, he's going to be so freaking good. I love his so game. You know what was good. interesting, though? He's I hitting thought people he was now. lousy the first two games he played with Rossi. Yeah. And a lot of it, 
I think the knee-jerk reaction is to look and say, Rossi hasn't been good enough, he hasn't scored enough, he hasn't done enough to create plays. I thought he made three or four terrific yes. plays, yeah. and Boldy just didn't finish those Bold, nights. Boldy had tough games in Ottawa and Detroit. Very tough games. Um, but, man, this kid, he's a special, special talent. He I, you know, he's, he's another one that's going to be adding. The one thing this year, it's going to be interesting. Like, if this $4 million extra cap space that does come into fruition and they go long-term with him, the one thing, though, that he's going to have to understand and his agent's going to have to understand is there's no chance that he's making 9.000001. He's making 8.99999 maybe. They are not going over Kaprizov with him on, the, on this deal. So the bridge deal, if he thinks in this next seven or eight years he's going to be more than a $9 million player, he might want to sign a, sign a five-year deal in the six or seven range or a bridge deal in the you know, four or five range. You know, like, this is, might be one where he might want to take the bridge and bet on himself because he could be a special, special player. I think he already is a special yeah. player. You look at the goals he scored in Chicago. We talk about timely saves and timely goals. I can't imagine two that were bigger on a night where Minnesota was flat. They looked exhausted. Their game was a mess. Chicago scores early, and it could be a night where the game just goes upside down. He answers in 22 seconds. Wild then score. They play a lot of the night with a lead, but it's tied. The Hawks take the lead, and this time he scores in 17 seconds. And there's something to be said for guys that in those moments make plays. He didn't miss. Yes, it was a great chance on the second one, but he didn't miss it. He didn't flub it. He didn't panic. The moment wasn't too big for him. I think when you get guys in those spots and in those kind of situations and you see them excel, it tells you you've got something special. That second goal that he scored, especially when, when he didn't one-time it and he actually settled the puck, how many guys over the years have we seen miss the net in that standpoint? And right. he just freaking whips it right in the back. And that's what we, just, he's an elite yeah, scorer. Yeah. And we talked about it a lot last year with having Fiala and Kaprizov as two elite scorers that – the game, you didn't need 14 chances to score mm -hmm. one, that they had, they were the type of guys that had the ability to just finish. Yep. And these two guys have it. Boldy has it. Kaprizov has it. We'll have to see if Rossi has it yeah. later in his and career. And the thing with Boldy, too, is that he's such an instinctually good, the way that he opens himself up to create, uh, to put himself in a position to shoot, you saw it on that play when Mason Shaw, not Eric Snack, when Mason Shaw got the puck along the half wall, wall. Boldy, one, trusted the fact that he was going to be able to beat a play off the boards, Mason would, that would be able to get a chance to Erickson Eck. But he skated himself to that shooting position even before Erickson Eck got the puck, opened himself up to receive the pass. So he trusts that Shaw is going to make the play on the half wall, get it to Erickson Eck, and Erickson Eck's going to see him. And then the same thing happens even on the empty net goal last night. Just the way that he's, he's skating at a position where he knew that Durr wouldn't be able to get him the puck, so he puts himself in a position where Durr, if he got the, won the foot race, was going to be able to pass. Yeah, I thought the play on the empty net goal was Spurgeon. Yeah. He knew well, he yeah. had a guy that yeah. was going to be able to negate the icing yeah. and threw it the length of the ice. I thought, I thought Spurgeon was Spurgeon terrific. Spurgeon and Brodine have game. been unbelievable lately. I they mean, have been. You know, I um, thought Spurgeon was particularly good against Montreal. Yeah. That's why the other thing, just to go back to the Twittiots, but the, my life is too much on Twitter these days. Everything is driving me crazy. The one guy, I'm, I, the one thing that like it just ex makes me explode when somebody criticizes him, when they call him, "What a great play by our captain, secure uh, like uh, um, 
uh, you know, sarcastically, but the other calling him the seven million dollar man. But the one in the five on three where Spurgeon made the mistake and went behind the net in a game where he was freaking unbelievable in forty shifts, and somebody went after after him like that. I'm like, like, and I just said, to, the guy's been great tonight. He made one mistake to expect somebody that plays forty shifts a game, thirty five shifts a game, to be perfect on thirty five shifts at that position. You're gonna make mistakes. It's a game of mistakes. They're on a three on five. He made a mistake. That's it. You know, like, it, it just, uh, it, I don't know. I, I sometimes just, uh, if fans that have a hatred toward one player that just find all their flaws every single day, and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, when Boldy's struggling, oh, it's Rossi's fault. When Brody's struggling, well, it had to be Brody, uh, Dumba's fault. It's always that way. Speaking of which, so the Wild changed their, their defense pairs. Um, Kalen Addison is playing with Jonas Brodeen. He's been much better at even strength. I don't think a lot of that has, uh, I, I think a lot of it has to do with Brodeen playing great right now. And so that pair has worked. Um, but what a dream this has got to be for Kalen Addison to play with Brodeen right now. They've been really good together. Yeah. They, skate, they both skate well. They both move the puck well. I think Kalen Addison's game's been terrific. Mm-hmm. He is a huge part of the change in their power play success. I think Matt Boldy's been a big part of that. Boldy's so much better with the puck than Kevin Fiala was in the similar role. All the other guy, Erickson X, the same guy. But the other difference is Addison at the blue line. And Spurgeon has been really good. He's really good when it comes to holding the zone. But Addison holds the zone and makes a play. It's unbelievable. It's crazy how many times he's been able to keep plays alive, create lanes, and get pucks through. He's a guy who's certainly not playing like a rookie in a, in a very important spot. But I just, uh, it really is impressive to me. You know, all the things, you know, he's only 22 years old, but it felt like that the last couple of years that, that he had a lot of doubts on what his future was in the organization. And next thing you know, I mean, they basically created a spot for him this year and, and he's obviously come through and the power play has been, um, you know, basically turned around uh, at this point. With winter approaching, I don't want to get stuck without heat. I know you don't want to get stuck without heat. So that's why I called Aquarius Home Services, and within a day, they sent a technician out to give me a full furnace tune-up. He was professional, knowledgeable, and got the furnace all prepped for the cold winter ahead. Aquarius provides a five-star furnace tune-up. They will thoroughly evaluate your entire heating system, review the results with you, and happily answer any questions. And if they find any concerns whatsoever, Aquarius will provide clear options with upfront pricing and review their no-breakdown guarantee. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. That's why I come on here every week and recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. The last time that I cooked at home, we had some scallops from Kowalski's that were unbelievable. And I think I've mentioned this on an earlier show. They switched early in the summer to a different line of scallops, and they're a little bit smaller, but don't be fooled by them. Number one, they're more flavorful, and number two, they don't cook down at all. There's no The, the water content inside them is, is lower, so they are terrific. They're just among the among the awesome options they have at the seafood counter it's my favorite place to go it's like being a little kid in a candy store when i walk back to that counter they're knowledgeable 
trust them. They'll point you in the right direction, but take my word for it on the scallops. You'll love them. If you're going to have great meals, you got to start with the best ingredients, and the only place to go for that is Kowalski's. You know what's amazing about their power plate is not only is it clicking at 28%, Anthony, but that number one unit gives the number two unit almost no time on the ice. Because right. even when they don't score, they're in the offensive zone for like 140. They are. It's crazy how... And we studied, we looked at some of the numbers, I think it was in our Chicago show, where they're in the top four in the league in shot attempts per two-minute power play, shots on goal, high danger chances. So all of that tells you it's sustainable. Sometimes if you're at 28% early in the year, it might just be a couple goofy bounces or a... There are some things that could tell you that it's not likely to continue, but those numbers tell you that they're creating properly on the power play. And the other guy I wanted to bring up was Mason Shaw, yeah. who I think has been terrific. And we, we talk a lot about, and the Wild talk a lot, about guys that in camp show you something so that they put themselves at the top of the list to be recalled when there's a spot available. And that's what Mason Shaw did. He had a great camp. And when he came up, when you put him in those spots – Dean always tells these guys, don't give it back. You've earned it. Don't give it back. You're not just here because of this guy being lousy or this guy being hurt. You're here because you earned it in camp. Now don't give it up. And boy, has Shaw embraced that. He just, the way he plays the game, go back and watch the fight he had at the end of the game last night when it was Rossi, Rossi who delivers the hit on Slavkovsky. And watch where Shaw is and watch how he reacts. Yeah. He's standing there just waiting. He knows exactly what's coming and just biding his time, waiting. And as soon as Evans appears, he's on him like a dog on a bone. It was, and it, it was fun yeah. to watch just the way he. He's a he's five foot seven. And he's yeah. but kind of looks like Matt Damon. Have you noticed that? Like uh, Google him right now and look at his, some of his mug shots. Um, you, you know, the thing uh, was really cool, if, you, if you're an athletic subscriber, too. So Joe Smith uh, went down there and took an opportunity to go meet up with his dad during the uh, beginning of the first, uh, the second period. Last night. What are the chances Joe is standing with his father interviewing him when Mason scored? And if you read Joe's story today, Mason's dad turns to Joe and gives him a big high five and just goes, how about that? I mean, what a... And Joe texted me this last night because I wasn't at the game. He texted me this last night and he goes, should I hold this, you know, for an off day story or write it live? I'm like, write it live. Like that is, to me, that is the story right now, especially if they win and turned out, obviously he's playing well. Um, you know, when you, you watch the way the guy the celebrated captain. his yeah. goal in Chicago. Yeah. It was cool. Yep. And those things are real. Yep. When you see how and, happy guys yep. are for him, and Wes Walls had talked about it actually that morning before the game in Chicago, and we were talking about some other things because he wasn't on the show that night, but he was going to be the first home game. And we were texting back and forth, and the, he brought up the point that one of the things that can change a team and change a game faster than anything is when your fourth line scores. Because everybody assumes your top guns are going to score. They count on those guys to score. But it's when you get a goal from your fourth line that you'll see a team erupt. And sure enough, Shaw scores. And the way the bench reacted, the way the coaching staff reacted, it was Although it Mason was fun Shaw, who knew? Second line uh, right wing now. On the now he is. Right. Um, yeah, but it's, it really is a great story. I know, I know Wild fans know his story by now, you know, intimately with the three ACL tears and all that. But... The one thing that I learned from Joe's story today that, you know, you never knew because I never talked to his dad before about it is, is, um, is that when he had his third ACL, his dad was 
on a farm and was about to get in his car, drive to Des Moines and bring him home because he thought his career ended. And the fact that, like, Matt Reed, remember Matt Reed played for the Wild Base? He's, like, assured him, we're, we're going to take care of this kid. We'll get him back. And uh, it just shows. I mean, you know, there's so much stuff that happens in a hockey locker room that we don't see. And, um, you know, somebody was on an article of mine the other day about Mason Shaw coincidentally was making fun of me that I always make them sound like this, like, incredible locker room and all this stuff. And, but look, this is stuff that is real. Like, I was talking to Kalen on this podcast today, Addison, and he was just going on and on about just the, how welcoming that locker room is and all this stuff that we don't get to see. And it, it's a real thing. Like, when Marco Rossi is going out to dinner in Montreal with Zuccarello, Erickson Eck, and Spurgeon, and when Addison's going out to dinner with Felino and Sam Steele, like, that is stuff that don't, don't take that for one, granted one second and just be so cynical that you're just saying, oh, you know, wow, uh, Marco Rossi's going out with three veterans. Like, what do you think that made Marco Rossi feel like that night when Zuccarello, Erickson, and Spurgeon, the captain of the team, are saying, hey, kid, come with us? That is, that is a real thing that makes a kid that at that point was, you know, a little unsure of himself and is standing in this locker room make, feel extremely comfortable, you know? And some of it they do by design, where it's team activities and team bonding and all that yeah. stuff. But this stuff is just naturally, it just happens organically. Yep. And that is that is why the locker room is different. Yeah. Um, again, if you come on up and you have questions, um, uh, feel free. Um, uh, you know, otherwise, we're going to wrap up the show soon. But I do want to talk to you about a couple other things. Seattle Kraken are in town. Um, now going to play the Wild here on Thursday night. In the wild, they're off till Tuesday. Seattle is a much, much improved they're different. Game. Man, they totally are be, different. yeah, be, they're playing well. Um, I'm getting together with Dave Haxel after the morning skate tomorrow and talking to Shane Wright and Maddie Beneers for a national story that I'm working on on the Kraken and the way that they're developing both those young players. Obviously, there's a lot's been made of the fact that Shane Wright's barely playing, or and when he does play, not getting a lot of ice time, and the whole development plan that Seattle has for him. But this team is winning games. And they're Even, scoring. Yeah, and they're, you know, of their, if you look at their six, I was just talking to Ryan Clark from ESPN who's based in Seattle on the way here, and he was telling me, like, you look at their six regulation and overtime losses, they could have won four of those games. Like, they are playing, uh, you know, really, really well right now. They're playing great. And the game I mentioned earlier that I watched against Calgary last night, a good Calgary club that I think is one of the teams to beat in the West, and they came from behind to beat them in Calgary, and the, it wasn't a fluke. They created a shorthanded chance late. They scored again about a minute later. This team's got some firepower. And where a year ago, I think they were trying to beat everybody 2-1. to one. Now they've got enough firepower. They're a little lack, I think, on the defensive end. But, and their goaltending has been suspect. But they can score. They've got some firepower. Question. So uh, the couple questions I have are both a couple talked about. Uh, Boldy and Rossi. So what do you guys think the realistic expectations are for Rossi and his career? I know you kind of talked about it, but... Do you think it should be, you know, is he expected to be that point-per-game player that, you know, the Wild want at center? And then I know Boldy draws a lot of comparison to Cole Caulfield because we, we decided to take Boldy over Caulfield. Um, obviously, do you think that was the right decision at the end of the day? Yes. He's yeah. a totally different player, but yes, he's a complete player. Caulfield's, Caulfield's going to be a gifted scorer, but I'll take Matt Boldy 99 days out of 100. Over and that, if I remember correctly, was a P.J. Fenton thing. I mean, uh, there was a lot of internal debate inside the organization, and P.J. was the director of amateur scouting at that time, uh, was big time into uh, Boldy and wanted Boldy, and um, everybody I talked to at the time thought it was a steal. And, you know, uh, you're right. I mean, uh, naturally they're going to be um, compared 
together forever just based on the fact that the Wild maybe could have taken him. But uh, but I right at this point, it's hard to argue uh, ta- not taking Boldy. Boldy's a special, special player. Not that Caulfield isn't. I mean, no, he's, he'll be a yeah. gifted scorer. And Marco Rossi, I think it's, a, it's always tough to put a number on it and say here's what the ceiling is or here's what it should be. I think he's going to – the eye test is going to tell you that he's a, an electric playmaker. And I think he even saw it the other night. Once he picked up that assist – it was crazy how different he looked. Confident with the yeah. puck, willing to try to make plays, aggressive as a shooter. I think if you had to put a number on it, yeah, I think you'll be close to a point per game player. If yeah. not, he'll be a like point, a twenty and sixty yeah. kind of guy. A point per game always. The way I always look at it too is up until last season, the Wild had one point per game player in their entire history, and that was the one year that Gabrick I think had eighty four. So like that's a lot of points. Um, but it's a lot of points for those of us that have covered the Scoring's Wild. Scoring's up though yeah. now in the league. Yeah, I, and, I, there are know, more point per game players. I think it's going to be yeah. like I think he will be like a. 20 and and 50, 20 and 60 kind of player. And just remember the thing with Marco, too, is like, you know, where he's a point of game player depends largely on his line mates finishing. And, you know, we all made a big deal like, wow, he got his first NHL point yesterday. He could have had five points on the, the, uh, like, I don't want to make this sound like I'm ripping on Boldy. He could have had five points on the trip if Boldy finished. I mean, there were three or four gifts that he put him in front of the net that Boldy, that Boldy, you know, just, again, I think maybe being a little tired or what, just, you know, shanked or didn't put in, you know, a couple of them really in Detroit, um, Ottawa. So, like, I think right now we'd all have a different perception of the way that Marco was playing if he had four or five points right now, right? And, and I think his game, the way he's played the last few games, he's played well enough to be in that spot. And he wouldn't be playing 13 minutes a game right now if he wasn't playing the game the right way. In fact, when we talked with Dean before the game on Tuesday, and I asked him if he thought that he was pressing right now to score, and he said a little bit, and he turns, he said, how many points does he have? And it was a legit question. I, I honestly don't think Dean knew he had yeah. zeros at that yeah. point. Well, it's like in Ottawa when at the morning skate, when I asked him about Goudreau on the top line, was he in Ottawa or after? And he said that Goudreau has been one of our best offensive players. I'm like, does Dean know that he doesn't have a point yet? Like, I don't <laughs> think he knows that he's... Uh, it was in Montreal, sorry, before the game. I asked him, uh, I, said, I, I can't remember when I asked him, but he, did, he didn't have a point at that point. And I was like, I don't know if I had to concur. But that's the way Dean is. Dean doesn't... He could... Trust me, he has no idea that Kaprizov has eight goals right now and Boldy's got five or whatever. Like, he, he doesn't look at that. He just looks on how is that player playing. And, um, you know... And that dictates how many minutes yep. he's playing. And, and uh, you know, with that, it, yeah. Rossi's getting more and more minutes. And Goudreau's going to have to continue to perform on that line. I mean, whether points or not, I mean, he's got to, Like, last night he had a tough game, I thought, Goudreau. And, uh, you know, where I thought he was much, much better on the road trip. He looked like, to me, a little tired last night. So, um, But they're going to get a lot of rest here in the next couple of days. Uh, any other questions? Otherwise, we're going to wrap up the show here. Here we go. Jody, you came all this way. No questions? So is Jody really... Is she a crazy hockey mom or not a crazy hockey mom? Okay. How come your son's not answering that question? I was asking him. <laughs> he seems scared yeah. to answer the question. He's a smart man. Yeah. I don't want to overstay my welcome with a second question. You know that we're not giving away any giveaways yeah. today, so yeah. just so just, you're not getting two raffle tickets now. I'll be grain belt we'll, free we'll and, to and live this to tell about it. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound counterintuitive and probably against the grain, but the common wisdom is that Bracket has filled the pipeline with an abundance of D blue liners, Lambos, O'Rourke, 
hunt, et cetera, et cetera. If Billy G watched the playoffs last year and saw their defensive deficiencies in terms of size and ability to move guys out of the crease, would he ever use what little cap space he's got to go get an up-and-coming blue liner right now, knowing that, as you've said previously, this is, this is the last year for... Dumba? Dumba. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think that he would make a parallel move and trade Dumba for that, D, but I don't think he's going to go... Um, I think he absolutely would, um, but not, not a long-term. Not for an up-and-coming guy. Yeah, not I an think up-and-coming, he'd, be, he'd yeah, go no, get like, a more yeah. a sturdy like, this veteran would be, yeah, type This would guy. be somebody now. Here, here's the name I have in mind. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Miller of the Rangers. No, DeAndre Miller's going nowhere. So let's well, stop I know he's the going Ranger, nowhere. I know the Rangers think he's going nowhere, yeah. but he's in the he's third going, year yeah, of, his, of his entry-level contract. They've got a cap issue where they can't sign everybody. Is there a potential of picks and or players or prospects They're not trading that Billy Keandre could Miller. put together. Yep. Would he maybe at one point, I don't know, do an offer sheet? I think he would, but maybe two, three, four years from now when the cap hits are up. Um, but they can't afford him anyway, so the Wild can't. Like if, like it's, Keandre Miller's going nowhere, trust me. That guy is an absolute stud. They, he's going to be a stud. Um, yeah. I think the... And the one guy you didn't mention in the list of defensive prospects is Brock Faber. I think he might be the first guy who lands here in St. Paul. He'll play games this year. He will, and might play games in the playoffs this year. But I think if they were going to go make a move, it would be more of a an expiring contract, one yes. year, yeah. bigger, sturdier, more physical guy perhaps. That Because right now what they've got in their system is what's going to be here going forward. When you look at Spurgeon and Brodeen are going to be here long-term. Addison looks like he's settling in. Faber's going to be here. That's four guys right there, plus all the other prospects you mentioned. I just I don't see them adding anybody that's, that's going to be a long-term piece. On it the will be line. interesting to see what he does later this year because the one area where they you know, definitely, I think, could use is a little more size. And I'm not necessarily saying even on the back end, but up front. Um, you know, if he thought that last year they needed to get more rugged and added Delorier, he's certainly going to think that this year, right? Because they're not nearly as big as last year. Um, yeah. Yeah, Middleton, you're right. Middleton, Merrill, I mean, they, they've got size, but I wouldn't call them the most physical defensemen in the world either. Um, are you an attorney, by the way? Or you, got, you got a great presence on that mic. You, you get... You remind me of Ken, uh, the guy that I call counselor all the time here that came on our Europe trip. You know Ken. I do. You, you, didn't you make fun of him on a podcast and you pissed him off? And you said that he was quickly forgotten on the... Uh, yeah, he was forgotten once you know, he left. we did the podcast. We yeah. did a podcast in, Bud- in Prague. In Prague, and, uh, and he had left already. Yeah, and, and on the podcast, like, you basically, you know... He left. Yeah. Any more questions? Nothing? Nothing? All right, we're going to wrap up the show. Anthony's got to go. Thanks to our sponsors. Again, November 21st is our next live show. That's at Tuttles and Hopkins. Definitely come on out after that, November 28th. Hopkins, and uh, we're going to be back out here at some point in December... Uh, one of the dates will be out back up here in Wyoming in December. Um, but uh, again, November 21st, our next live show. Thanks to our awesome, awesome sponsors, Aquarius Home Services, <laughs> the installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, Royal Credit Union, Kowalski's, Christendal Real Estate, Boschloff Firm, Moe's Tavern, of course, all the Tuttle's restaurants, and especially here at Split Rocks, Grain Belt, 
thanks to all of you for coming out. It's just awesome to see how many people come out here to Split Rocks. Uh, um, up here on the Northern Birds, it, it gives us a reassurance that we should come up here often. So thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. Because I'm just telling you, if you're going to tell me that I should have rented a car and driven home, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs>